I don't know why the temperature up here is like 50 degrees hotter than out there, but... Um, Amen. <laughs> I appreciate everybody being here tonight. Um, I've got more technology in front of me here. Hang on just a second. Okay, that's on. This isn't part of the uh, sermon, but I did find a, a heard of an interesting t statistic today. Uh, it says, in the United States, five out of three men struggle with math. Five out of, never mind. Okay. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've, I've been mulling this around for quite a while, and, and I, um, when, I, when I do these things, and, and it's usually more for me than it is anybody else, but... You know, it says a busy church is a growing church. However, as important as ministry programs are and projects are, a lot of times the real measure of a congregation's growth is based on how many members treat, how members treat our families, people at work, and even in our communities. But how about how we treat each other in, as members of the church? I found this story and in the sermon and it just hit home to me as far as what this really means in my personal life as well. So the principal reminds me of a true story about a family. I heard that it was centered around a little cup. The cup in question was a porcelain cup with Snow White hand painted on it and it was purchased as a souvenir from Disneyland when the wife was just a little girl. <coughs> now the problem with this cup was over the years it became cracked right at the handle, right where you put your finger. You couldn't hardly see the crack, but you could hear it when you set it down, it kind of go thunk, you know, just kind of a hollow sound. It was a fragile sound. Now this may not be a problem for you and your household, but you see, this family was the world championship glass and dish breakers. The husband and wife had four children in the space of five years, and these four wild children had their share of broken dishes, glasses, windows, anything that was breakable. His oldest son once said, watch this BB bounce as he shot it into an eight by eight glass window. But through all this glass breaking, somehow, this little cup survived. Now the reason this little cup survived, despite its crack and their poor track record with dishes, was that everyone knew that it was mom's special cup. A precious souvenir from her childhood, and one bump, it was finished. So they all handled it with care. You see, they were conscious of its fragility. And so whenever they used it, it was with this silent understanding. For example, when washing it, they would always be careful to turn the damage handle inward in the dishwasher to protect its weak spot. The result of this was that they ended up using this little cup more than any other dish in the entire house. Dishes came and went. Glasses came and went. 
plates, saucers, cups. Everything came and went, but this little cup just kept on hanging on to fight despite its fragile state. It became so precious to them in its flawed state because it was the only piece of dishware that required love in order to be handled. It's hard to believe that this little cup made them better people. So we're talking about the crack cup tonight. Yeah, I think there's a parallel here between this family's attitude towards this little bitty porcelain cup and the attitude that we should have towards each other in the church. I believe that the church is like a cupboard where the Lord keeps his cracked and damaged dishes. We are all have our own flaws. But he is able to use them for his service because he is careful. He uses them, but he never forgets their weaknesses. The result is he uses fragile things to do great service because he uses them in love. And as we speak of the Lord's tenderness in this use of delicate things, Isaiah says in Isaiah 42 and 3, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. And we might add, in a cracked cup, he will not break. Now, I, know, I don't know everyone's story, but if you're a Christian, or even if you're outside of Christ, I'm willing to guess that there, there are people in our lives and ourselves. We have a lot of cracked cups. We may even have some cracked pots. And the guy in front of you is no different with his chips and bruises. Now the crack, the weakness, or the damage may not all be in the same spot for each of us. But everybody has a tender spot. And if we hit too hard on that spot, they will fall apart into many pieces, just like a broken cup. I don't think we're always conscious of this fact that why, that's why there is, at times, sometimes a lot of broken glass lying around. I sincerely believe that no one deliberately wants to hurt anyone, and certainly no one wants to, anyone to stomp on their own weak spot. But it does happen. It happens in our families, at work, our friends, and sometimes even in the church. For this reason, the Apostle Paul in the following passages give us three very simple rules for handling cracked cups in such a way that we don't inflict further damage upon ourselves. These rules hopefully will help us avoid damaging others who are sensitive and who are already suffering with, from broken and weak parts. You know, life is outside of this church sometimes. We have families and friends and those things that um, that create that weak spot in us sometimes. So how do we handle crack cups? These rules are found in chapter 4 and 5 of, e of the Ephesian letter. And it'll be Ephesians 4, 32 
through Ephesians 5 and 2. This passage is set in the middle of a long section dealing with the problems of getting along with others in the church. Apparently, the Ephesian Christians had been very zealous for the Word of God to obey it and to teach it properly. They wanted to do the right thing, but in their enthusiasm about guarding against false doctrine and teachers, they were becoming suspicious and mean-spirited with one another. So in this context, Paul writes to them, giving them instructions about how to better love each other and to avoid hurting those who were already damaged. He gives us three rules in handling the crack cups of this world and in our families and in our church. So Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself of us for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So rule number one, be kind. The word kind in the Greek means literally to do good. This includes saying good, thinking good, and doing good things for others. Spiritual maturity can be measured by kindness, not just church attendance. Kindness is a quality of character that is so Christ-like. It's easy to spot kind people. Kind people are sensitive, not just smart. They are givers, not takers or accumulators. They strive to be appealing rather than just being attractive. And kindness strengthens other people as well. That is its most important and powerful trait. The best way to make a church grow is through kindness. People respond to kindness. People will work for kindness and sacrifice for one who is kind to them. Next to the gospel itself, kindness can be one of the most effective evangelistic tools we have. Paul's unspoken point is that if we cannot, accept, if we cannot expect Christians to be kind to each other, who can we expect to be kind? Also, if we wish to avoid damaging each other, we must consciously practice kindness towards each other, openly, generously, and without prejudice. Our congregation is one of the most loving, caring congregations there are. But when people come in or we struggle in our own lives, how do we respond? Rule number two says be tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted doesn't mean that a person is weak or a wimp. Tender-heartedness is the quality of character which one is so moved by another's condition that he not only feels sympathy, but he will take some kind of action. Today we call that empathy. Tender-heartedness is present when, when we feel sorry for the hurt or the crack in the other person. We don't feel superior because we don't have that crack in the same spot. 
You know, sometimes you might be able to, you know, well, you know that guy, well, you know, we'll look at that guy. That's not what it's about. We have to have that, that ability to understand. It's always easiest to spot the fault that somebody else has that we don't have. Tenderheartedness wants to help heal the damaged spot in, in, in the other. Rather than criticize and condemn the other because of their weakness. Tenderheartedness says we are willing to handle with care the delicate condition of our brethren. Not just discard them because of their defects. Have you ever heard someone say, that guy's so messed up, why try? Have we ever heard somebody say, she's so far gone, why bother? We can't help people with cracks like that. Is that the stand that we should be taking? Ask yourself, is that the attitude that emanated from the cross? When we're thinking how to respond or how to treat up someone, ask ourselves, what attitude emanated from the cross? And is that our attitude at that moment? We have to have compassion with damaged Christians as well. Because that's the only kind of people we have in our church. We all have damage. We all have cracks. We all have weak spots. What would happen today if we were to put a sign outside of our church building that says, damaged people are welcome? You see, the reason some people have difficulty being tender-hearted is because their own damage or weak spots is in their own eyes. They can't see past their own. I have found that in a long time, and it's taken me a long time to understand that uh, we have to learn to forgive ourselves as well as God forgiving us. These people are blind and they cannot see themselves. They can't see their own cracks. Even for those people, we have to be tender-hearted. Jesus was the most kind to the most blind Pharisee of all, Saul of Tarsus. It was no coincidence that he was blinded when he saw Jesus and he regained his sight when he recognized how blind he had been. Rule number three, we have to learn to forgive each other. Now, there's forgiveness at two levels. We need to understand that. Forgiveness, first one, is forgiveness at direct offense at a, against us. Things happen. People say things. People do things and kind of hit us on our crack spot. We are on the receiving end of hurt. Some say forgive and forget. Some say I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. We have to understand and listen. Forgiving is not about forgetting. Something's done to us, we will never forget. God doesn't ask us to forget. He asks us to let go. May 19th, 
1985. May not be important to a lot of people here. That was the night my brother was murdered. My twin brother. Now understand this. This was in 1985. 95. 2005. 2015. 2020. 35 years? I haven't forgotten. Why? Because forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about letting go. The giving up of our legitimate right to collect on a debt. Forgiving an offense or a debt is considering that debt paid. Not forgetting that want, that is once owed. I'm so thankful that Jesus forgave me. I mean this sincerely. If those people that carried out that crime came in the door tonight that took my brother's life, I can honestly say before you now, I've forgiven them. We all have those things in our lives that we have to understand that we have to let go. And it could be a family member. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody here in the church. We have to learn to let it go. People, people offend us. They're going to bump into our weak areas. And we deserve, we deserve to receive an apology or have a right to be compensated. Forgiveness is the act on where you cancel that debt someone owes. You don't owe me no more. You do this. You control this. You offer this as the solution to put the, pro to put the problem whether they can pay or not. This puts the control back with you and it gives God the glory. So is there, there is forgiveness as a direct offense, but there is forgiveness of tolerance and patience as well. The second half of that is forgiveness also means a spirit of tolerance and of patience. We must also forgive the weaknesses we see in others that maybe don't directly offend us or affect us, but they get on our nerves. You haven't hurt my feelings. You bug me. That kind of forgiveness. They don't steal from us, they don't insult us, but the way, they, the way they are offends our sense of how we think they ought to be. You don't live up to my scorecard. Sometimes they don't live up to the Bible scorecard. But our opinion of how people should be bugs us. You don't act or look like I think you should do or should be. But spiritual damage control requires us to forgive others who crash into our weak spots. To exercise patience with those who we believe have no right to be in the cupboard in the first place. 
because they're way too damaged. They're way too cracked to be of any use to us. But we need to remember that God has handled us so tenderly, so carefully, that we are still in one piece. And the greatest miracle of all is that He continues to use us despite our delicate condition. God has overlooked all of our imperfections and all of our damage and all of our cracks as we are placed in Christ Jesus. We need to extend that same kind of mercy towards others when they offend us or bug us. We need to ask ourselves the following question when somebody is bugging us or offending us. Is this where I will cut off the grace of God for another? Do we take a stand and say, no more grace for you, buddy? I'm going to turn that grace tap off. Remember, the flow of grace goes down. So when you turn the flow of grace off for another, you turn it off for yourself as well. Grace can only flow down from God onto us and then onto others. If you turn the grace tap off for those that bug and bump into our weak spots, God's going to turn the grace off for us. So we have to show grace. So Paul concludes another key idea in chapters 5, 1, and 2. The love of the saints for one another is like a fragrant aroma to God as, we, as, as was the sacrifice of Jesus. The love of God in Christ, this is the glue that repairs the cracks and provides a renewed life of service. This is the way God puts us back together after we're all cracked and broken. It's with His love. And we in the church are the channels for this love and the agent that he uses in repairing all the cracked and broken lives that come to him in contact through faith in Jesus. The people that come and see us and know us every day. Without this kind of love, we cannot grow in a way that's pleasing to God. So, if you're cracked, if you're a cracked cup, unused, unloved, unnoticed, unclean. I encourage you to offer your broken dishes to God today by coming to Jesus in repentance and baptism. Let Him love you. Let Him repair your damage with His love. Let Him cover your weakness with the blood of His cross. And for the rest of the cups in the cupboard... I have a poem here that kind of summarizes the thoughts of this lesson. It says, please handle with care, for I have a crack. And that's not all in which I lack. My handle is weak, so please take care. Yes, someone's life is so hard to bear. Sometimes life is so hard to bear. And it appears to me as I look about, Everyone has cracks, not all are stout. And if not cracked, then broken or bent, or scratched, bruised, torn, and rent. And since this is true, let's be kind to, let's all be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, gentle, not blind. To the cracks and flaws and bruises each have got, 
and heed to the lessons our Savior taught. Let us bind up those cracks for one another, and especially to those of our sisters and brothers. So exercise tolerance, patience too, but especially love, for this is the glue. Tonight, if you'd like to respond to the invitation this evening, whether it be prayers from the church or putting Christ on in baptism, take this opportunity. We don't know when we'll have the next opportunity. When I talk about my brother, it's been a long time. But understand, 35 years ago, in the situation that it was, He didn't have time. We didn't know what the truth was then. But we do tonight. So please come as we stand and sing.